Good morning, everybody. Are you done horsing around? Okay, because horsing around is a good thing. But if you're, if you're done, okay, we'll, we'll get down to business. Merry Christmas, everyone. I forgot to wear a red or green. Instead, I wore my prison attire. <clears throat> good to see you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm not sure, I'm not sure everyone heard you. I think it was, Olga, seriously. <laughs> Olga, you're a good judge of character. <laughs> oh. Whoops. Sorry about that. What a way to go. Tumble over the pulpit and, and die right before Christmas. Nice to see everybody. Wonderful. Why are you wearing coats and stuff? Is it cold? Billy, why are you here? Billy was in the earth. Billy, um, folks, can you just, for a second, just a private conversation. Can you not make the comment this hour you made in the first hour? I would appreciate it. Billy was very disruptive. And the, you should just know that. So, uh, David committed serious sin. Nathan boldly pointed it out. God graciously forgave it. That's the summary of where we've been thus far. That being the background, let's pick up the action. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 14. Let's see what happens next. David confessed. David repented. God forgave. Everything looks good. But then we get this, verse 14. However, Nathan is still speaking. However, because by this deed, David's deed with Bathsheba, you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Therefore, the child also that is born to you shall surely die. So, David is forgiven. The relationship can be and was renewed. There's a future and a hope for David. He can bring glory to God's name, all the rest. God will not forsake him because God's grace is greater even than David's sin. However, sin leaves sometimes irreversible consequences. In this case, the baby, now being carried by Bathsheba, will die. So I found this little thing that uh, reminded me of this. <sighs> David sinned, and there was some temporary pleasure, uh, but now he's paying. There will be the consequence of the absence of the child. So one consequence when we sin and turn from it will never be that God says, I've had enough. Because though we be unfaithful, he remains faithful. He's the God of all grace. On the other hand, sin, this is why God hates it, sometimes has irreversible consequences. We're looking at one here, the death of the baby. Now, you might say I'm having a hard time reconciling this with the goodness and compassion of God. Why does the baby have to die? Well, I'm looking to the text because it gives us an answer. 
it says, because by this deed you have, you being David, have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. What does that mean? If God does not impose a consequence, the enemies of the Lord will say, look at this, you claim to be a holy God who hates sin, and yet you seem to have let it go unchecked, no accountability, no response. And so uh, God does what he does for these reasons. God's enemies must see two things. First, God loves David. But second, just as important, God hates sin. So there must be an indication of a holy God's response to sin, hence the baby dies. Unbelievers must not take this as an opportunity, this is what the text says, to blaspheme God. Look how this so-called holy God ignores David's sin. So the baby as a consequence, dies. In verse 15, Nathan went to his home. His job for now is over. And then the Lord struck the child that Uriah's widow, what's the name of Uriah's widow? Yeah, but she's not named here, is she? She's described as Uriah's widow. This is to heighten uh, the notion that David had sex with someone else's wife. You see, this is pretty serious. And so, this is the baby being born by Uriah's widow. By the way, what's the baby's name? Your Bible doesn't say what the baby's name is? Okay, good. Then you have a good Bible. <laughs> because we don't know the name of the baby's name. And in a few minutes, I'll suggest a reason why we do not. All we know is the unnamed child, Uriah's, being born by Uriah's widow to David, was very sick. In verse 16, David therefore inquired of God. Uh, the English translation doesn't give us the intensity of what he was doing. He wasn't just inquiring of God. He was pouring out his heart in fervent prayer. He was interceding for the life of this baby, his child. He was quite emotional and passionate about the whole thing. And he fasted, in uh, fact, and went and lay all night on the ground. This is no casual praying at all. And the elders of his household stood beside him in order to raise him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and would not even eat food with them. And then it happened, the text says, look at this, on the seventh day that the child died. So I ask you, why do you, th is there any significance to the fact that the baby died on the seventh day? Not on the sixth, not on the ninth, on the seventh day of the baby's life, the baby passed. Why the seventh day? Anyone have any idea? We're guessing a little bit here, so don't worry. Yes, Beth? Ah, so that is a very good observation in case you didn't hear. Beth is correct. Uh, Jewish baby boys are circumcised on the eighth day. Circumcision is what? It's a sign of what? Anyone know? Sign of the covenant. If the baby dies on the seventh day, the baby is denied the right of circumcision and in some fashion is not included in the community, the covenant community of Israel. Furthermore, uh, this explains to me why the baby remains unnamed because uh, in Jewish practice, you get your Hebrew name on the eighth day, the day of your circumcision. Would you like to know 
what name I was given on the eighth day of my life. Are you interested in that at all? Okay, good. I'm so happy. That is the right response. I would feel so terrible if you said, nah, we're hungry. Okay, so I'll tell you. Uh, it is uh, Shepsol Chaim. Shepsol Chaim. So my English name is Stuart. Hebrew name given on the eighth day, Shepsol Chaim. Now, I always thought, what a goofy thing that is. It's like a disease, it sounds like. Would you name me that? But later, as a believer, I checked it out, and I really like what it means. It means lamb of life. Do you remember this song in Fiddler on the Roof? To life, to life, lechayim. That's what the word is, Shepsel Chaim, to life, lamb of life. So I got my name on the eighth day. You can call me Stu. But, uh, but, but anyway, uh, the baby, didn't get, the baby didn't, get, didn't get the name. Well, the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, behold, while the child was still alive, we spoke to him and he didn't listen to our voice. How then can we tell him that the child is dead since he might do himself harm? They were wise to stay close to him. He was grieving the um, illness of the child. He was not eating. He was up all night. And these, are, these could be the precursors to suicide. And they said, if he's this way while the child is still alive, oh, my goodness, what effect will the announcement of the child's death have on him? We're afraid of what he might do to himself is what they said. Well, while they're having this discussion, it says, David saw that his servants were whispering together, and he perceived that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said they had no choice but to tell him. They said, yeah, he's dead. And now they were surprised. We are surprised by David's reaction to all this in verse 20. David arose from the ground, washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, and he came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Very surprising response. It's as if David, well, he petitioned and he prayed and he asked God. And, well, God answered. And the answer was no, no. And David accepted it. He prayed until he got an answer. He got an answer. And then he rushed. You would think to eat. He had been without food, but I guess his hunger for worship even was greater than his hunger for food. And before he went home to eat, he went to worship Almighty God. David is a renewed person, a murderous adulterer. No, a repentant child of the king who felt uh, the overwhelming grace of the king was so far greater than his sin. He could just charge into the throne room of grace, in that case, the tabernacle, and worship Almighty God. And then, after worship, he came to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. And then his servants, verse 21, said to him, What is this thing that you have done? They're perplexed. While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. They can't make sense out of it. He said, well, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me that the child may live, but now he has died. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. So maybe a little side point I, I want to just mention. Folks, we 
pray for the living. We do not pray to or for the dead. Now, you might say, why am I even saying that? Well, because there are certain faith groups who do. Uh, There's this notion of purgatory, which is not biblical, and the living can do things here to make sure your deceased relatives in purgatory can make their way out into paradise. I like all that. Something I can do to help my deceased relatives, but I'm afraid that's not the case upon death that seals one's eternity. To be absent from the body is not to be in purgatory. If you're a believer, it's to be present with the Lord. So you have options, you see what I mean, and there's no in-between. And this idea of apparitions of the dead and conjuring up the memories of the lost and visitations... (laughs) Be careful. There's no biblical. In fact, the only time those practices are mentioned in the Bible, they're uh, attributed to occultic, satanic activity. Be careful. We stay away from this. Pray like crazy while people are alive. When they pass, move on, just as David did here. And he finds great comfort in the fact that though the baby is gone and would not return to him, he will go to the baby. That's what he says, doesn't he? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Now, I like that, but is it, David, is it just wishful thinking? You know how we offer to someone uh, wishful, you know, we want to say comforting words to people, and upon the death of someone, you hear the most unbiblical theologies in the world, you know, Everyone apparently is going to heaven. Well, you'll, we'll, see you, we'll, we'll see that person again. A moral reprobate, a godless individual. We'll see that person again. Let's sing Amazing Grace. You know, we like to offer words of comfort. And th- th- these, this notion is obviously giving comfort to David. I'll see the baby again. But my question is, is it biblical? In other words, uh, where do babies go when they die? When a baby tragically passes in infancy, where does the baby pass to? Folks, for the duration of our class, this is the question we're going to wrestle with. Where do babies go if they die? I want to spend some time on it for a lot of reasons. Every time I address this subject, I know in the room there are at least one who have had an abortion. I know this. And you need to know that the grace available to David is available to you. For the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Ladies who have had abortions grieve, suffer, guilt, and all the rest. And you need to know that God's grace is greater than all your sin. And then the other thing ladies who have aborted their babies wrestle with is, where is my baby now? I think I have an answer for you and for anyone who's lost a child in his or her infancy. So this is not an easy topic, but bear with me. Some say babies, if they die, go straight to heaven because babies have no sin. I love that, but it's not biblical. It's not true. Uh, This particular perspective says that people are born sinless, and that sin only becomes an issue when 
one is old enough to commit sin. I love that. We're just a blank slate when we're born, or we're good. And sin becomes an issue when we commit an overt sin. Well, a baby has not done this, and therefore a baby goes straight to heaven because the baby is sinless. I really love that. But that thinking is contrary to the Bible. For instance, are you familiar with this verse? I think you might have gone over it last week. David himself wrote it. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Yeah, that's, that's our birthright, inherited from Adam. I think of Psalm 143, verse 2, for in thy sight no one living is righteous. If one is living, that one is not right with God, regardless of the fact that that one may be a cuddly, cute little baby. Nobody is right with God. Now, we want to get babies to heaven in our hearts and minds. We want to find a way to get them there, but I must tell you, we can't get babies to heaven by saying they have no sin nature. We can't do that because they do. Do you know of any adults who do not sin? Let me answer for you. You do not. And the reason why you do not is because it is in the nature of every adult to sin. The only reason why a non-adult, a baby, has not yet sinned is that that baby has not yet had a chance. But it's just as much in the baby as it is in you. Give it time, and you will see what that cute little cuddly brat is made of. They've inherited their nature from Adam. That's the way it works. Listen, Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as through one man, that's Adam, sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. You say, it's not fair that I would have inherited a sin nature from Adam. Well, is it fair that you would have inherited the righteousness of the second Adam, Jesus? Don't ask for fair. I'll take grace. I don't want fair. I'll take mercy, Billy. That's right. Look, folks, we cannot get babies to heaven by saying they are without sin. Furthermore, we cannot get babies to heaven by baptizing them. Now, here I step on the toes of some of you who come from different religious traditions. This practice is called baptismal regeneration, meaning the infant baptized, regardless of what happens, is guaranteed now inclusion into the eternal kingdom, baptismal regeneration. I really wish that was true because we just baptize all these babies and then not have to worry about them. I wish it was true. Some believe it is. They declare that unbaptized infants who die do not go to heaven, but baptized infants who die do. In fact, perhaps you've heard of this fellow. His name is Ambrose. He was the bishop of Milan in the fourth century, he said. No one ascends into the kingdom of heaven except by the means of the sacrament of baptism. Yeah, that's not in the Bible. That's the, that's the problem. It's very well said by Ambrose, but there's no biblical basis for it. Augustine was a very well-known theologian and philosopher in the fourth century. He furthermore said, born within the fall, infants inherit real depravity so the wrath of god abides on can you see what he said unbaptized babies 
Therefore, different faith traditions baptize their babies to ensure their entrance into heaven. I love the concept. I wish it was true. It would be easy. But there's no biblical basis for it. I mean, the Bible says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So if we get an infant to heaven through baptism, it's baptism that got the infant to heaven, not grace. Infant baptism, you see, would make salvation a result of human works, not a result of divine grace. So I'm sorry, we can't get babies to heaven by denying their sin nature. And secondly, we can't get babies to heaven by baptism. So what are we left with? Must we conclude that a baby who dies or who is aborted is destined to eternal suffering in hell? No, I don't think we have to settle for that one. There's more to the story. So then how can we get them to heaven? Well, let me ask you, how are you getting to heaven? How does anyone get to heaven? It's by the grace of God through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the only means by which anybody can get to heaven. But what about faith in Christ on the part of a baby, a newborn, an infant, uh, that baby, that baby can't muster can't muster faith. That baby, that baby is incapable of understanding the issues of sin and salvation. That's right. God knows this, and therefore His grace and mercy prevails through the sacrifice of His Son Jesus, so that babies who die are ushered immediately into heaven. Why? Well, babies have not yet reached the age at which they are able to comprehend the issues of sin and salvation. An infant in the womb doesn't have this understanding. An infant at birth doesn't have this understanding. And children, young children up to a certain age don't have this understanding. But then there is a certain age. We can refer to it this way, the age of accountability, at which time things change. So what is the age of accountability as specified in the Bible? You can't find it. There is no specification. Why? Because every child is different. Last week, I had the privilege of baptizing a six-year-old little girl. Her understanding of matters of sin and salvation was, though expressed as a child, as clear and accurate as any adult I ever spoke to. But that is not true of every six-year-old. It differs. So though we know that the reality of an age of accountability, we don't know with specificity what number it is. We do know that at every point, there is a point when in the life of every child, that child has met the condition of accountability. And before then, though children are not accountable because they're not able to understand matters of sin and salvation after the age of accountability, they are. Therefore, in the case of young ones, their unbelief is not a willful choice until the age of accountability. Therefore, since they do not yet understand, uh, they are not denied heaven. And I'll tell you why. Nobody is denied heaven for lack of understanding. People are denied heaven for one reason, willful unbelief. So it is not sin that keeps a person out of heaven. It's rejection of the Savior. Sin is not the issue. God has provided a solution for it. Sin doesn't keep us out of heaven. It's rejection of the sin substitute, Jesus. 
But young ones don't know enough yet to willfully reject the Savior. Let's say God uh, decided to send babies who pass in their babyhood. Let's say he decided to send them to hell. The baby there would be aware of its suffering and pain, but would have no idea why. Is that the stuff that God would do? When you see divine retribution, wrath, and punishment, and those are realities, they befall someone who knows full well why. But a baby wouldn't have that experience. This just doesn't seem like something God would do. Now, I want to share something with you. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 39. Israel is about to enter into the promised land, but they sinned, and therefore many were denied entrance into that land. And in that sense, we read this. Moreover, your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and your sons, who this day have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall enter there. And I will give it to them, and they shall possess it. So the adult Israelites who rebelled would not gain entrance into the promised land because they sinned willfully and with full knowledge. However, those not old enough to know right from wrong have not willfully rebelled. Therefore, they are not denied entrance into the promised land. In fact, God clearly says with reference to them, your little ones who have no knowledge of good and evil shall enter there. Adults rebelled willfully and knowingly. Little ones did not. Therefore, God punishes only the adults. The infants, they're not sinless. I didn't say that. But they are innocent of deliberate sin. Now, to bolster this point, let me share with you a passage in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 19, verse 4. Because they have forsaken me and have made this an alien place and have burned sacrifices in it to other gods that neither they nor their forefathers nor the kings of Judah had ever known, and because they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent, which begs the question, who are the... How did I get there? There we go. Who are the innocent? Who are the innocent mentioned in Jeremiah's passage? I would like to suggest to you that they are babies. How do I know that? Because of the very next verse in the Jeremiah 19 passage, which says, And have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal. Child sacrifice to pagan gods by Israelite parents. What happens to the children? Well, they're referred to as the innocent. So to aborted babies today. The innocent are babies. They possess a sin nature, for sure, but they've not yet reached the age of accountability, therefore are innocent, and God does not send the innocent to hell. On one occasion, Jesus healed a blind man. The Jewish religious leaders, my peeps, didn't like it. They freaked. And in John chapter 9, verse 41, Jesus said to them, if you were blind, the Jewish religious leaders, if you were blind, you'd have no sin. I mean, God can't hold you responsible for something you can't see. 
But now you say, we see. Your sin remains. How does this apply to our subject? Folks, those who have the capacity to see, that is to say to understand truth about sin and salvation, and yet who refuse to accept and acknowledge that truth, they remain guilty of their sin. However, one, like a baby, who cannot see these things will not be held accountable or responsible. An infant will not be judged for not believing in what he or she can't see. That's the point. Now, we've been considering David's sin with Bathsheba here in 2 Samuel. David was clearly forgiven his sin, but as we see, his sin had consequences, one of which was the death of the baby. He grieved, but then he took really striking hope in that he will see his baby again. And so we saw what he said in verse 23. I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. In other words, he can't come back here, but I'm going to where he is. That's what David said. And that uh, conviction, that belief caused his desperate sorrow to be replaced with hope. Hope that one day he will see his child again. Now, some say, well, what this means is David was saying, well, baby, one day your daddy is going to be buried right alongside of you. Uh, so they would say it's as if David is saying, look, I've been in deep despair, even on the point of sui- to the verge of suicide over the well-being in, of my child. But now that I see that my child is dead, I feel absolutely relieved, relieved knowing that one day he and I will share the same hole in the ground. Come on. Is that going to move you from despair to hope? That's not what he means at all. He means one day I will see my child in heaven. And why do I know that? Because that's where David is. Read Hebrews, the faith on a roll. David was not saying, I'll see you in hell. The only other option is heaven. He rejoiced in that he will see his child in heaven. That's what David is saying here. That's what moved him from very serious despair to Otherwise, inexplicable hope. Babies who die go to heaven. Again, not because they're sinless, not because they've been baptized, and not because, as people are increasingly saying, everybody goes to heaven. No, but because God is love. And therefore, he sent his son to die for everyone, including babies. And babies who pass are in the loving embrace of God because they have never rejected his love. Which leads me to this haunting question. What about you? What have you done with the love of God? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You have, as I look around the room, clearly surpassed the age of accountability. (laughs) You are without excuse. You cannot say, I didn't know, I didn't see, I wasn't told. No. Don't be so worried about the destiny of babies who pass. I would be concerned about my own situation if I was you. What are you going to do with the loving sacrifice offered? God's only begotten son on the cross for your sin and mine. Walk away from it and you are accountable. You are in jeopardy. Accept the love of God and you too, when you die, will be with your maker in heaven. Well, then David comforted his wife, Bathsheba. That's what it says, doesn't it? Verse 24. <laughs> and I wonder how, what comfort? Where did he get it? But don't you see? 
he got the comfort. He had this notion that he'll see the baby again. And that comfort was fodder, a supply with which he could provide comfort to his wife, Bathsheba. And so he went into her, which is a biblical euphemism for they had sex. And he lay with her, and she gave birth to a son. And this son is named. His name is Solomon. It says that, doesn't it? Solomon. You know what uh, comes from the name Solomon? Another word, I bet you know of it, is this word, shalom. Shalom derives from the name Solomon. It means peace. What an unbelievable indication by God to David that all is well now. This child will be named peace. David, there's peace between you and I. David, don't let the evil one, now that you've confessed your sin, repented of it, accepted my forgiveness, don't let the evil one persuade you things are still yet not right between you and me. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. My grace is greater than all your sin. Let's press on. There's peace now between us. So the baby was named Solomon, meaning peace. And the text says, now the Lord loved him. And then it goes on, verse 25, and sent word through Nathan. Nathan has some more work to do. Sent word through Nathan the prophet, and he named him Jedediah for the Lord's sake. Another name for the baby Solomon is Jedediah. Jedediah was the name God chose. Look, I, this is, these are names from a baby book. They show you all the different spellings for Jedediah. It's a good name if anyone's pregnant here and you don't want to name the baby Stuart. You should try... <laughs> Jedediah is a good one, is a good one too. Jedediah, and you see what it means, beloved of Yahweh or beloved of the Lord. Can you see the form of the divine name there? Jedediah, that's Yahweh, beloved of Yahweh, meaning beloved of the Lord. Do you know what this meant? Uh, God chose the name. And again, it's as if he's telling David, I will not minimize nor justify your sin. You sinned. You violated many commandments, murder, adultery, lying, all the rest. But David, contingent upon your resting in my grace and mercy, it's forgiven. I've cast your sins behind my back. And just to give you something to cling to. David, you have a future. The future is Jedediah and David, the dynasty, which I promise to you will continue through him. And by the way, that's the line of Messiah we're looking at right here. So you and I have done things we would be ashamed to admit to right here, but God knows about them. Having confessed it, turned from it and thrown ourselves upon the mercy of God. I believe his grace and mercy and forgiveness is available to us just as it was made available to David for those circumstances change. The gracious, merciful nature of God does not change. And you and I, in spite of what we have done, though I'm not minimizing what we've done, there are consequences, yet we have a future and a hope. This baby is an indication that David had a future, and I think God still is willing to birth through maybe ones in here who've transgressed greatly. I still think he's willing and able to birth fruit, glory to his name. It's only the evil one who is saying to you, in essence, I must crucify myself through guilt and shame because the crucifixion which befell Jesus was inadequate. 
don't do that. He said, it's finished. He paid the price in full. Just as David got up from his desperation in prayer to worship God, so too you should get up from what has befallen you. You can't forget it. There are consequences. I know it. But rush to worship for the throne of grace is open to you. In fact, make feeding on our gracious God even more important than physical sustenance, just as David did. And expect a future and a hope because God will be glorified through those whom he has redeemed. It's not because of virtue in you or me. We don't have any. It's because of his investment in our life. He bought us with quite a price, the blood of his only begotten sinless son. He will get a return on his investment. Let him. Let him birth through you and me, though we don't deserve it. Let him birth through us a harvest that redounds to the glory of his name. Call it Jedediah, beloved of the Lord. That's who you are, though you sin, so do I. All right, I've left a little time here to see if you have any comments or questions. And uh, if not, we'll go to Luby's. David? What a great question. D- did everyone hear David's question? Okay, it's super. Not the same. According to Romans 1 and Psalms, because God has made himself known through general revelation. If one renders the right response to general revelation, that is to say the evidence of God in creation, God will provide that one with special revelation. That is the evidence of God through his only begotten son. You hear stories of this. A missions team leaves from Sagemont Church to go to some remote village in India. One of our faithful Sagemont members buddies up next to an Indian in a small village who maybe has never seen a white person ever. And you're looking for an opportunity to share the gospel with that person. Before you get started, that person says something like, I'm looking for him. What is his name? I've been searching. (laughs) God knew the heart of that person, and that person rendered the right response to creation. What what do I mean by that? Well, Romans said, rather than giving thanks to the creator, they worshiped and served the creature. That's not the right response. But if you're like that man in India who says, who are you, oh great? I don't even know your name. I want to know you, for look what you have provided. Well, God will send someone over there to tell him more. Now, that story I just told you is not an illustration. That's a true story. It happened to one of our members right here in the church. So that's a little different. However, David, what if you have someone who's not a child, but um, mentally, intellectually limited, incapacitated? Yes, it applies to that person. Remember, that person has not willfully rejected Christ. That person, perhaps, depending on the severity of the um, intellectual incapacity, is not able to understand. 
God does not send to hell people who don't understand. He only sends to hell people who actually choose to go there because they have refused his offer of forgiveness. So anyway, great question. Great question. Yes, ma'am, all the way in the back in the cheap seats. Boy, that's beautiful. That is so good. I mean, look, we're not absolving David of his responsibility, but look what prevails, the sovereignty of God. Now, we get arguments over this. Which is it, divine sovereignty or or free will? Oh, come on, get over it. It's both. Just because I can't harmonize them or you can't doesn't mean I have to choose one as opposed to the other. It's both. Look at divine sovereignty. The messianic line still comes through David, though David was still guilty of his sin. Oh, that's really good. Good stuff. For a woman. <laughs> see, see, here's my problem. I would do good. But those last two words, they were unnecessary. <laughs> totally. I, I got you. You're right. Yes, yes, ma'am. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a great illustration. What a great illustration. Absolutely. Uh, there was a missionary who, uh, he went to a very remote island. They had not been visited by missionaries, surely not by white ones. He was persuaded. God, and he knew this would probably be his fate, but he went nonetheless because he felt that God would have him go there. And our sister is saying, well, that wasn't a death foolishly spent. or uh, uh, There might have been one person there who had to hear the name of Jesus. He proclaimed the name of Jesus before he lost his life. Didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Ah, uh, I didn't know that. Uh, where was the? Was it off India? Was it? Okay, yeah, okay. Uh, from going to, yeah. I see. Oh, boy. Yes, ma'am. Ah. Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Great. One of the best things offered here is ministry to the deaf. If you watch on Sunday or Wednesday, first of all, it's a beautiful language. By the way, if anyone would feel inclined, you can be trained in the language of the deaf here. 
And that's like being a missionary to an unreached people group. It's no different than going to a far place right here. The deaf community, they're entirely cut off. But for folks who can communicate, I send my sermon notes on Wednesday nights to the 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 people on the team so that they can review it beforehand because some of the words, um, some you have to figure out how to communicate that. Really great, Angela. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Yes, Mac. I think you're right. Yeah, Mac, I think you're right. You know, in Revelation, I don't have the passage. When it talks about it, one day gathered around the throne, there will be, it says myriads of myriads, which kind of means you can't count it is so many. I think a number of those will be the kind of children you just mentioned and the millions of aborted babies. I think they're going to give praise to Almighty God. Now, someone in the last class asked, well, what about ages? What ages will we have? Will the baby always be the baby? And you know, I don't have any answers to It's a beautiful question. I love to, don't you, to, 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 to think about these things. But I'm afraid the question betrays that we're locked into a category that may not exist in heaven like time. <laughs> By definition, heaven is timeless. So all our questions uh, emanate from the very limited categories we have, and the Bible says what God has in store for us goes way beyond anything we can even imagine. So I don't know how old we're, we're actually going to be in, in heaven because I think aging is not even a concept that will be present in heaven. Why is that? He, you'll be, <laughs> yeah, I don't like Billy. <laughs> yeah, so that's the thing. We have glorified bodies. What does that mean? Are, are they tied to age? Will there be a glorified 40-year-old body, a glorified 60-year-old body, and that kind of thing? Uh, um, probably not, because they're, they're not years as we reckon it in heaven. No, it does not. Yeah, that's exactly right. Don't you just love people? They just cut through it, and they make it simple. So years and years, people have been wrangling over these deep theological concepts, and our sister, she's so right, it really doesn't matter because <laughs> we're going to be with God. You are absolutely correct. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know exactly why. That's a great question. It is the name God thought of him as, but I don't have a record of him being called that. That's a great question. Someone needs to research that. It, oh, you couldn't hear the question? It doesn't matter. No, the question is, it's a very, it's a very good one. Sharon asks, if his name is Jedediah, why is he not named that at other places in the Bible? We think of him as Solomon, not Jedediah. It's a very good observation. I don't have the answer to that question at all. Yes, sir. Uh, I don't know what the statement means. Uh, our brother is saying, what about the statement, I didn't know I was lost until I got saved. Uh, see, I think unless you know you're lost, you won't get saved. 
In other words, your awareness of sin has to precede your appreciation for the sin bearer. So that's one of those cute little platitudes that make no theological sense whatsoever. No. No. You bet your life. That's why I cried out for forgiveness and a Savior. Ah, now you're on to something. Listen, you're on to something. Now we're going to get into deep ground here. This will for sure divide the church. Um, some theologians, I'll use this term called prevenient grace. Pre, before. Meaning even before the grace of salvation, God began to convict us of sin and judgment and righteousness so that we would crave salvation. Be- yes, it is Romans 1. Well said. Because look at the Bible says we're dead in our sin. How could a spiritually dead person respond to spiritual truths unless God quickens our spirit even before we recognize him? Now, a lot of uh, that sounds like Calvinism, and I am far from a Calvinist, I, you know, because Calvinists would say, see, God elected people to salvation beforehand, and they just stumbled upon God already made the decision beforehand. No, I don't agree with that at all. His sovereignty does not rule out free will. However... Apart from God's sovereignty, I'm not sure you would be able to freely exercise your will. You're dead. Well, I, 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 no, that's very understandable. What's not understandable is the miracle of salvation. That's the miracle. It's perfectly sensible that sinful people who sin in thought, word, and deed, who have this as a characterization of their nature, who do not seek God, no man seeks God, it's perfectly understandable that people won't respond even to the miracles of Jesus done in their presence. What is a miracle is when a person is enabled to respond to the grace of God and be saved. That is a miracle that makes the parting of the Red Seas look like nothing. We're dead, folks. We are not seeking God. No man seeks God. That's what the Bible says. Yes, sir. Yes. This day, yes, sir. Oh, that's an excellent question. So the th- our brother's saying, the thief on the cross, of whom Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in heaven. Our brother is rightly saying, where was his baptism? Yes, it blows away Ambrose, and also I don't want to hurt anybody unduly, but listen, I, I have religious traditions that are much older than yours, and I am willing to sift mine through the biblical grid. I hope you are as well. So this notion of baptism being a requirement for salvation, the history of how it came to be has nothing to do with the Bible. Listen to this. If if we tell you at Sagemont Church, your kids have to be baptized here as infants in order for them to go to heaven, and in order for them to be baptized, you have to be a member of this church, you'll probably join. And that's how certain faith groups historically have built up their memberships. They say the church is the saving institution. Well, I'm talking about the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church is, teaches it is the saving institution. You have to be a member of the Catholic Church. You have to have your 
babies baptized there. You have to have the bloodless mass, it's called, the actual body and blood of Christ through the elements, and you can only do it when administered by a Catholic priest to Catholic people. If you do that, you're going to be a Catholic. But you're going to, you're going to be distracted from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Baptism is not a requirement for salvation. We, we are not compelled to be baptized. Listen, we are invited to be baptized in Jesus' name. Big difference there. So, okay. Yes, you, how are you, brother? God bless you. Yeah. Well, that's an excellent question. Uh, if I heard you right, brother, Cornelius in Acts 10 asked Peter to come uh, so that the, the whole family could be, could be saved. But that, that's because, folks, that's when the men were spiritual leaders. We didn't abrogate our position. <laughs> and generally speaking, the way the father went, all the children went. Today, there's been such family breakdown, we think that text is a foreign text. But if the leader of the family embraced Christ, the kids wouldn't think of not embracing Christ personally. So that cannot be a case for infant baptism. That's a case for the importance of the family and the man remaining the spiritual leader in the family. Well, wow, lots of stuff. Deb? Yes. So Deb's question is really good. What about the girls, the baby girls? There's this circumcision thing for the guys. That's the right of the couple. What about the girls? Deb, someone has to clean up the mess. <laughs> hey, how about that one? That was pretty good. Thank you. Yeah. So... The girls are thought to be the under the umbrella of their parents. That's how it is. Y- yes, at, they, they get a Hebrew name at birth. That is exactly right. There is no equivalent thing for the, the female babies like circumcision. It's a great, great question. <laughs> that is so ridiculous. Hey. Did you hear about this guy, I think in Holland or something? He, he, didn't he say, I want to be considered, I think it was 60 or something. I want to be considered 40 because I feel young at heart, something like that. And they denied him his request. But on what grounds? I mean, if you wake up one day and you feel younger than you actually are, why can't you? If you feel today that you're uh, a different gender than it says on your birth certificate, that's being honored today. Why not age? So there you have it. Well, good. Why don't we end really, really quickly here and wish you a Merry Christmas and tell you, as a reminder, we will not meet the next few Sundays, as you know. We won't see each other until next year. Isn't that good? 2019. Merry Christmas, everybody. Thanks for coming. God bless you.